workers always need it. Yeah, Jesus, thank you that we have been able to come to you freely and celebrate you. Lord, I ask, again, as we open up your word, may we sit under the weight of what your word is. It's the revelation of you. May we not take this lightly, but may we not take ourselves so seriously that we miss the point of what it's all about. It's not about us. It's about you. And your truth does not bring added weight, added pressure to us as your people or to us who are learning what it might be to be one of your people. It brings joy. It brings freedom. It brings release. It brings life. And we say, Holy Spirit, may you do that this morning in each of us in this room, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a new series starts today. Ooh, ooh. Excitement is in the house. Uh, who enjoyed the DVD last week? Those who are here? Yes. Yeah, lots of people. We had some good feedback during the week. Thank you for that. Letting us know what you thought. Those of you that haven't seen it, you've all joined a long queue, I gather, <laughs> to borrow it. Um, what we've done, we've actually, we, did, we spent four Sundays on Trinity, didn't we? Who is God? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Eternal. God in three persons, not three gods. One person, don't try and explain it, embrace it. Who is God? And last week, Tim Keller on that DVD introduced us to uh, a fresh understanding of what it means to, well, okay, now we know who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How are we saved? How are we rescued from our problem? And he introduced it through the younger son and the older son in the proverb of the lost son, the prodigal son. And so often over the years we've stumbled into focusing on the younger son who got it all wrong and backslider and ended up with the pigs and who's he think he is, slapped around the face, but dad loves him. And we can all go running back to daddy. That's great, that's brilliant, that's Bible truth. But we forget about the older brother. And the older brother is actually out in the field. He's outside the house himself. He is separated from his father in a relationship. He's out in the field, sees his younger brother come home, be welcomed in despite everything he's done and wishing his dad was dead. And he resents it because I've been doing the right thing and I've been the older brother who's been taking on responsibility of pleasing dad by doing all the right stuff and not running away and spending his inheritance and wishing he was dead. So I resent that and that created greater separation with his dad. And actually, that can be us. And actually, we can still be doing the right things and still be separated from our father as well. And actually, it was the ideal, ultimate, older brother, Jesus, who did do everything right, who came to get us. I thought it was fantastic, right? the way he explains the story, I thought it was brilliant. And so we've had, who is God? We've had, how do we get saved? Now looking at Galatians, we want to help you guys understand, <laughs> I've got to get my head around it as well. This is not just about how you get saved, this affects everything, every day, from now on. And Galatians, Paul is the writer to the Galatians, he writes to a church in Galatia, I'll give you a bit of background in a minute. And basically he's helping us explain, like, Jenny and I got married on the 16th of July, 1994. Uh, what we said on that day wasn't just for that day. It affects today. It wasn't just something that happened then. We are living in the light of that. We don't have to repeat our vows every day. Half past seven, the alarm goes off. <laughs> you know, with my body, I honour you, and in sickness and in health, and blah, 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 I've got to go to work now. But we are living in the light of our vows, 
and we are living out our vows. We are living in the light of what has happened. It still affects today. Yes? And that is what Paul is effectively saying in the letter to Galatians. He's saying, guys, you are saved, but don't try and turn what, you, what that promise, what that marriage moment was all about, and turn it into something it isn't. What you did then, what Jesus did for you then, affects now. So, let me just set the scene before we read from... We're going to look at Galatians chapter 1, if you're not already there. The first passage in Galatians chapter 1, the first nine verses. If you've got a blue Bible, it'll be page 1168. Galatia, let me explain. Galatia is what we would now call mid-modern Turkey. It's an area called Galatia. And there is a church, this is a very young church, that was birthed through Paul's missionary journey mid-40s AD, about 45 AD approximately. So we're talking maybe 15 years after Jesus died, rose again, ascended to the Father's side, Holy Spirit came in power and birthed the church. So the global church, as it's spreading, is now 15 years old approximately. Here is one of the local expressions of that church growing, that church family, in Galatia, mid-modern Turkey. And they are, dates are hard to gather exactly when this letter was written, but they are only a few years old, possibly only a couple of years old, this church, since Paul last left them after they got birthed through his ministry. They're a very young church. And crisis has already hit. Crisis has already hit. They have been infiltrated by what Paul calls false teachers who are coming in and telling them that the gospel is something other than what they were first taught by Paul and actually by the Holy Spirit. And it's causing confusion. As you see in verse 7 in a minute, he said these people are confusing you. You see, the first Christians were Jews in Jerusalem. But as the gospel spread... As the church grew, spread across the known world, more and more non-Jews were getting saved. Galatia is a collection of non-Jews. And what this new group of teachers are coming in, since Paul has left a couple of years ago, they're coming in and saying, well, yeah, see, you're saved, you're Christians, but you're not real Christians yet. You're only real Christians if you follow the Jewish pattern and you practice the ceremonial laws of Moses. I've got some scissors here to make the guys wince. They're saying, circumcision is essential. You're crossing your legs yet, Tom. We won't, we won't have an illustration of it this morning, I promise. But let's, oh, oh, what, pardon? <laughs> but these guys are saying, unless you get circumcised as a guy, unless all of you follow the proper dietary laws of Moses, etc., 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 you're not proper Christians. Ouch. So Paul hears about this, and he is devastated. He is gutted, he is cut to the core, and he has to write. They don't have Skype, (laughs) they don't have planes. The best he can do is write a letter, and this is the letter that came out of it, the letter to the Galatians. So let's read the first nine verses and see what it has to say. Paul, an apostle, is a church Father, effectively. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. To the churches in Galatia, this is a collection of groups in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
I am astonished. He doesn't, doesn't faff about. Little introduction, and now I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and returning to a different gospel. Which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. This is heavy stuff. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. It's so important that he says it twice. Anything other than the basic gospel of Jesus Christ, which I'll elaborate on in a minute, anything other than that is not the gospel. It's not a version of the gospel. It actually becomes a non-gospel. These people were called Judaizers. Paul is effectively saying Jesus is the equaliser, not Edward Woodward. But he's saying it's through Jesus he levels the playing field and it's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. He say anything you add to that, you've taken away everything. Let me explain why he takes this so seriously because it's... It just sounds like a, just a twisting of the gospel. And these people, well, we can just preach into it and do a bit of teaching and it'll be okay. But actually, he takes this so seriously. This is one of his most seriously toned, heavily toned letters. And there's a reason. You see, if you compare to another church, for example, the church in Corinth. There's two letters in the New Testament as we know it. Two letters to the church in Corinth called 1 and 2 Corinthians. Paul writes those as well. You read 1 Corinthians, they are in a right old state. And they... Good grief, there's division, there's sexual immorality, there's a bloke sleeping with his stepmom and so nobody seems to be batting an eyelid. There is social snobbery, there is theological confusion about marriage and divorce and how to conduct public worship and whether or not to get involved in pagan worship and if they do, how they don't and how they do it and all this kind of stuff. And they're just, they are all over the shop. They are a total, total mess. The church in Galatia are actually relatively... Neat and tidy, comparatively. But, Paul starts his letter to the Corinthians and he says, right at the beginning, I always thank God for you. And he ends it with, my love to all of you. His, his heart, it's, it's, just a, it's a deep affection that just overflows when he writes to them. He loves them. They are in a right old state, well screwed up. And he says, guys, I love you. And he, he, he does take stuff seriously and he does deal with it in his letter, but it's all, guys, I love you and this is why I'm doing this. And guys, you're brilliant and I'm always thanking God for you. Even though you're out of state, I thank him for you. In the letter to the Galatians, there are no love yous. In fact, once, that, chapter 1, verse 6, I am astonished, is that what he calls them. And then look at the, just turn to the first verse of chapter 3. You foolish Galatians. There's none of the love here, is there? Foolish Galatians. Corinth, in the right old state as we'd perceive it, they get all the loves. Galatia, there's a bit of tweaking of the teaching, but they're quite neat and tidy. They get a right old lambasting. Paul takes this to heart, and he takes this so seriously. He is more critical here than with any other church in the New Testament. 
Why? Because he knows that those marriage vows, effectively, affect today. And if I try and change our marriage vows, I'm changing our relationship. Yeah, I was reading yesterday about a famous actor who has an open marriage. That's a twist of what he vowed then, and it's wrong, and it's become, his marriage has become something it never was meant to be. Is that not right? So here's a Keller quote. you get a couple of Keller quotes this morning. First one. He says that the gospel, this is a good one to remember, the gospel is not the ABC of Christianity, not just the ABC of Christianity. It's not just how you become a Christian, and then that's it, you've dealt with the gospel now, moving on to proper stuff. He says the gospel is not just the ABC of Christianity, it is the A to Z. It affects everything. The gospel affects my standing, my identity, my security, my hope, my attitude in the workplace, my attitude at home as a father, as a husband, as a brother, as a son, as a friend, as a member of the church, how I conduct myself, how I live out, what I'm like in private. The gospel affects everything. And Paul says here, this is being changed now, and he's got, guys, I have to wade in here and I can't just let you faff around. Because you're turning the gospel into a non-gospel. See, gospel, the word gospel just means good news. If it's good, why change it? And it's news. It's not an article, a thesis about how we should conduct ourselves. It is news about something that has happened. Big difference. The good news of Jesus Christ is not, here is a pattern for you to live. The good news of Jesus Christ is he has done it for you. Do you see the difference? If you want an easy way to remember a summary of the word gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, just remember three words. God saves sinners. It's not about us, it's about him. God saves sinners. God, eternal God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, eternally loving Perfect ultimate family, they want to share that love, and it's at the overflow of that love they created us. Destined for eternity, perfect intimate relationship with them, and we screwed it up. Clever us. We put ourselves on the pedestal, we proclaimed ourselves kings, and that's when sin came into the world. It, it perverted our relationship with God. We become imperfect man, affects the whole of creation, the whole of the universe. And perfect God can't tolerate that and had to do something about that. And we are lost in our sin, dead in our sin, we can't save ourselves. So God saves out of his love for us still. Jesus agreed to come and be that perfect bridge, that perfect sacrifice. He lived the perfect life we can't live. So he would be the perfect sacrifice taking our place, and in that moment he bore our sin on the cross, there was a rift in the Godhead. They took that on themselves, that we might be saved. God saves sinners. And Paul in this letter, I'm just trusting today's sermon isn't just an explanation of the first chapter, but it's actually to give an introduction to what's to come over the next few weeks. Paul is saying, guys... God originates salvation. It's not about, you hear a lot more about that next week, this is not about ceremonial laws, making yourself right before God. Jesus has done that. And then from there he goes on to explain how that is what unites us. Jesus is the equaliser. And then how that affects our character, how that affects our relationship, relationships, how that affects our actions. 
is from the inside out, not the outside in. See the difference? So what I'd like to do, I'm not going to be preaching for too long to be honest this morning, but what I want to do is explain that this danger is still present today. In fact, Paul actually said to the Ephesian elders, Acts 20 verse 30, I'll read it out if you don't want to turn, Acts 20 verse 30, he's talking to the Ephesian elders and he says to them, Savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. It's always a danger and we always need to be aware of it. And as much as these ch- this church in Galatia are getting drawn away, but all oh, right, yes, ceremonial laws, yeah, off we go, where's the scissors? As well as they're doing that, it's easy to get led. The best plumb line is, what is the gospel? Is that the gospel? If not, snip it off. See, these Judaizers, Judaizers are saying to the people, there's certain things you need to snip off to be proper Christians. What Paul is saying is, there's a heck of a lot more you need to be snipping off to get it back to the main gospel, the gospel, the one and only true gospel. So I'm going to list a few examples. If people came in here and started telling us to snip stuff off, I think we'd notice. And I think we'd know it's wrong. Because we're not dummies. But we can still be blinded to other forms of this. Let me give some examples. I've got five. And any... Ex-Baptist among you might be delighted I've come up with five P's. <laughs> Here's an example. See, we can attach stuff to Jesus. Jesus plus. You've been looking at a bit of string all morning, haven't you? This one I call the prototype gospel. Jesus is our example. And then it stays there. He was a good man, a good teacher, showed us a pattern of how we should live and to love our neighbour and to be nice to people and to do good things and therefore win God's favour because we're doing nice stuff. See, these tend to blend into other types of non-gospels as well. But there is a danger, and I hear it often, particularly people who don't want to sacrifice, who don't want to commit, who don't want to be accountable, that it's all about just copying Jesus' lifestyle. It's a prototype gospel, it's a non-gospel. It's Jesus plus something. Set that on there. That will stay. Prototype gospel. People are saved through our good deeds. We don't need to speak out and ram the gospel down their throats and frighten them off. It's just as we love them, they will get saved. Our works will back up what we say because we're putting our money where our mouth is. We're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. Yes. But it's not just being nice and loving for people that they become Christians. And it's not through being nice that you become a Christian. That's not what it's about. There is a doctrine, I need to explain this, there is a doctrine called Christus Exemplar, which is a true, beautiful, Christian, biblical doctrine about Christ as our example. There is a facet of Christ when he came in the flesh and where he is our example of how to walk through suffering of how to deal with people we don't agree with, of how to speak out the truth, of how to find peace, of how to, even he needed to withdraw and spend time with his father. There is a great example there. And it's worth studying. And it's worth learning from. But it's not how you're saved. And it's not how you keep your salvation. It's different. 
Another one, another P. It's called this one provision. The provision gospel. You come to Jesus because of what you get out of it. Come to Jesus for help with addiction. Come to Jesus as a crutch. Something you turn when you're feeling low. You come to Jesus because you need peace and you can't find it anywhere else. Or for comfort because you can't find it anywhere else. Actually, you should come to Jesus out of repentance (laughs) and because of the need for rescue, because we are dead in our sin and we need him as our saviour and our lord. And out of that outworking brings peace, brings comfort, brings joy, brings freedom from addiction. He helps you walk through that. If you follow follow through in a relationship with him, brings release from that because he becomes your lord you worship and whatever it is you keep returning to when you feel low. A provision gospel is a non-gospel. Those kind of things are side effects of the problem. Addiction, unforgiveness, they are side effects of the sin in our life. But they're not the outcome. So it's not... The outcome is not come to Jesus for that and then you'll be alright and he can go off and he's there when you need him. We always need him because he's our rescuer. Another one, peripheral. This is where what's on the periphery of church we draw into the middle and make more important than it needs to be or more important than the important stuff. We make the secondary primary. Our dress, our speech, our conduct. This is how you're supposed to be as a Christian. I'm not convinced by that. There are aspects of the New Testament where there is an expectation of how we should conduct ourselves in terms of sexual purity, drunkenness, obviously. But it's not, you do these things and you'll be a proper Christian. I trust those are the outworkings of Christ in you, actually. Big difference. Music. Certain musical styles are more holy than others. (laughs) No, they're not. The musical styles we use in church are dependent on our doctrine of who Christ is and who we are, and we want to celebrate that. What cultural context are we in? Therefore, what is the music that will bridge that? That's why we have this kind of music, because of the culture we're in. It's what works. If God is telling us the best way of bridging that gap is using a punk metal band, I would be delighted. But it's not right for Beacon. (laughs) Yet. (laughs) If you need to go down a nightclub... If you take over a nightclub and invite all your punk metal fan friends, all Derek's punk metal fan friends, and you go down the club and you're singing songs that celebrate him to shouty, shouty punk metal music, I'll be there like a flash. And God, when you feel that, people get saved. But it's for a context. There are not certain musical styles. Organs are holy. Why have you got drums in your church? We can start drawing things into what's important when they're not. Peripheral. We can make... Certain things become the be-all and end-all. Doing church can be the be-all and end-all. It's all about church. Church this, church that, making our meetings brilliant and getting more people in and more lively music and kids' work is amazing and we're a fleshy, flashy website and it's brilliant, 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 brilliant. If you're living for that, you're not living, living for Jesus, are you? We've made the secondary and primary. Do you see the difference? Peripheral gospel. It's not all about that. It's about Jesus plus nothing. What's the next P? You're trying to think now, aren't you? Here's a famous one. 
Prosperity gospel. Hey. What is the prosperity gospel? See, earthly success teaches us that you are successful when you've got lots of, lots of pounds, lots of possessions, when you're healthy. If you haven't got those things, it's because your faith isn't big enough and you're not giving enough to make more back. Investing more in, God, in, in God's work, give him more money and actually he'll give you ten times that back. It's all about that. You're giving to get. Prosperity gospel, it's a non-gospel. It destroys Jesus plus nothing. It's not about the size of my faith. It's about who I've got faith in. And the Bible makes it very clear that sometimes we have to walk through some very, very, very hard stuff. Sickness, sometimes. Sometimes he heals. Sometimes he doesn't. doesn't mean you're less of a Christian when you're not healed. You need to hear that. Two guys getting on a plane. One is terrified of flying. One is brash, confident, not a problem with it. Tin can, but physics works and the powers of science and we'll get there. They both get on the same plane with the same pilot, the same crew. One is terrified for the entire duration of the journey. The other one is sleeping soundly. They both get off at the other end. It wasn't dependent on one guy's faith compared to another. It's it about the object of faith, the pilot and the crew. Placing your faith in Jesus isn't about how much faith you have. It's just, do you trust him? And if you believe more, you'll get more. And if you believe more, you'll be healed more. And if you believe more, your bank balance will sort yourself out. Or, it's not about that. Sometimes we have to walk through hard times. But he's there with us every step of the way. Prosperity gospel is a non-gospel. One more. Performance. That's what's going on in Galatia right now. The performance gospel. You're not proper Christians until you snip certain bits off, until you eat certain types of food and avoid certain types of food. Until you do that, you're not a proper Christian. It's about your works. Performance. The jailer in Acts chapter 16 verse 30. He talks to Paul and Silas and he runs up to them and he says, what does he say? What must I do to be saved. He's got this whole action thing. I mean, there is an element, what must to do? It's, like, it's about repentance and so on. But he's got this whole action thing going on in his head. Because he's in the Jewish culture in Jerusalem. He's going, what must I do to be saved? And they go, believe in Jesus. Not plus this, 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 and here's a manual. And go and study that handbook and there'll be a theory test next week. And then we'll let you in. Jesus. Believe in Jesus. You are not your saviour, so stop trying to be. We've all done it. I'm a rubbish Christian, so I must try harder. Just question your concept of who he is and what he's done for you, and that affects your performance in a whole different way. It's not about your performance saving you. It's the outworkings of your relationship with Jesus who has rescued you. Big difference. Me and Jenny, looking frightened. Me, me and Jenny, she always does. Me and jo- Jenny on the phone. You've probably heard us. Kissy, 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 wissy. Love you. See you later. Bye bye. Yeah. Okay. Okay. See you later. See. You. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. You still there? 
Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, bye-bye, yeah, love you, love you. Look, we're waiting for the ambulance to get fed up with it. Yeah, get, get off the phone! Yeah, bye-bye, love you. It's just the way we are. See, now that, if we do that more or do that less, doesn't affect our relationship, the standing of our relationship. We're not more or less married, depending on how, how long we take to say goodbye on the phone. And it's not a prototype for other people. This is what you should do to make your marriage better. It's the outcome of our marriage, our personal relationship, it's not the basis of it. It's not about performance. Stop it. A non-gospel, it's Jesus plus something. Especially so, that one. These do blend into each other a little bit. But we can look at that, and we're still thinking, yes, this is what happens in the church. Terrible. Got to keep an eye out for it. How many of us, and I'll be honest on the same, how many of us watching that DVD last week, watching about the older brother who has totally missed the point, he's outside the house, he's been doing all the right things to please his father, and he's resentful that his younger brother's been welcomed in, and we're thinking, how sad it is that his older brother's like that in the church. So sad. Was that our first thought? Or was our first thought, am I the older brother? Sometimes. It's Jesus plus something. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 1 as I finish. If it's Jesus plus something, we need to remind ourselves of what the gospel is. So anything that isn't, we'll pervert it and turn it into a non-gospel. Verse 3, he tells us straight away at the beginning of the letter, he's mentioned his name and who's with him, who he's writing to, and he comes straight in with the gospel before he tells them he's astonished. Verse 3, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Didn't just give us a prototype example. Didn't give us a manual or a handbook to how to deal with our sins. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. One day sin and death will be dealt with forever. He dealt with it 2,000 years ago, but the culmination of that will be proven once and for all. There will be no sin, no death one day. And if you are in Christ, you are safe. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. If the gospel is in there somewhere, but there's other stuff mixed around it, it's not the gospel plus something. It's actually a non-gospel full stop. So we need to get the scissors out and we need to snip them off. Is your understanding of the gospel just about loving people and being nice and copying Jesus? Not speaking out the truth to yourself and to others about their need for him to deal with your sin as the only means of rescue. So it's effectively a fear of man. And we need to snip it off. Snip it off. It's not the gospel and it's not how you're saved. And it's not where transformation will come in this world.
Love people, yes, but it's not the basis of our salvation. Do you find your prayers are petition only? Stuff you can get from God? The only time you pray is when you're asking him for something. I've been in danger of it. That is not the basis of your salvation. That is not simply what he's there for. And he does tell us to come to him and ask him for stuff because he's our dad. That's fine. But if you only come to him because of what you get out of it, the healthcare package and the retirement fund, you're missing the point. That's not the gospel. And you need to snip it off. Another one. Is my focus on the church or is my focus on him? And the church is the outworking of our focus on him. Or is our church the be and end all? We've made something secondary, actually made it primary, haven't we? The Bible is not all about the church. The Bible is all about Jesus making himself a family, which he calls the church. We've made the secondary primary if we're not careful. Are you always finding you're trying to stir up faith for better health, for wealth, for seeing your circumstances change? Is it all about the stuff? Or is it all about Jesus? Cut it off. And here's the biggie. Which is why I believe we have Galatians in the New Testament. This is a biggie for all of us. Do you find your self-worth in your performance, for better or worse? Do you feel better about yourself when you're doing more for Jesus and more for God and more righteous deeds? And do you feel worse about yourself when you don't? Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit convicting you, that's fine. But if your whole security and identity is bound up in your performance and not his, you're missing the point. Do you sometimes have a sense of superiority that you're a better Christian than the next person? Snip it off. Do you consider that your circumstances are based on your holiness and if you try harder to be more holy, things will change? It's not dependent on you, actually. You are not your saviour. It's dependent on him. Snip it off. It's Jesus plus nothing. This does not mean we can go off now and do what we want. We'll find out a lot more about that over the next few weeks working through Galatians. It's not about free license to do what you like. Our relationship with him, we honour him with our bodies. But it's not honouring him with our bodies lets him open the door to let us in. It's all about him. Religion makes us proud of what we've done. Performance makes us proud of what we've done. The gospel makes us proud of what Jesus has done. Massive, massive, massive difference. Let's ask one more question before I pray. What do you need to snip off? Jesus. Jesus, we lose sight of you so often. I lose sight of you so often. I get caught up in the world. I got caught up in my life. I get caught up in church and I can lose sight of you. 
Jesus, forgive me. I'm sorry. But help me. Holy Spirit, help keep pointing me to Jesus, that it's about him and what he's done that makes me right before God. It's about him and what he's done that secures me for an eternal future with you. It's about him and what he's done that gives me hope. It's about him and what's been done, what he's done that gives me a comfort in the difficult times, a joy when I have nothing, a peace in the storm, because it's about Jesus and it's not about me. If there's anything that we're not even aware of in our hearts, in our lives right now, that we need to deal with, that we need to snip off, speak to us. Right now we pray. Prompt us, provoke us. Poke us where we need to be poked. That we might live in the hope of Christ and not the hope of anything else that will always let us down. Jesus, we thank you. We bless you. We look forward to the next few weeks of finding more about this subject. But Lord, let it not just be information. Let it penetrate our hearts. Bring life to us, to your church in this town, that others might hear this wonderful truth themselves. To you be all the glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.